Hey, everybody. This is Skylar Vogel, the Senior Minister at Fourth Universalist Society. Welcome to our service video. We have a, a sermon coming up for you. We have a reading, and we have a lively discussion following uh, where we dive deeper into the, the themes of this week's service, which are talking about places of wonder and awe and mystery and, and how our experience with those things change over time from childhood to adulthood. We invite you each and every week, of course, to check out these videos. Our, they're on audio podcasts as well, posted on our website, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and wherever you stream your podcasts. If you like what you see, we hope you'll give us a positive review. The like, comment, share, subscribe to help spread the Fourth Universalist message further. Finally, we acknowledge that our community here in New York is located on the land of the Muncie Lenape peoples. This acknowledgement helps us continue the process of dismantling the ongoing legacies of oppression that our society faces. We invite you to join with us in this work as we embrace the Eighth Unitarian Universalist Principle. Thanks again for watching. We begin with our reading, which is followed by the sermon and then our discussion. We hope you enjoy. edited and an abridged version of an essay by best-selling author Gretchen Rubin. The other night I was at a dinner party and a new acquaintance told me that he wanted to cultivate a life of childlike wonder and adventure. I was intrigued. What an interesting aim. I was particularly struck by his use of the adjective childlike. He used this phrase, childlike wonder a few times so clearly it was very meaningful to him. That got me thinking about the difference between childlike wonder and adult-like wonder. Childlike wonder, it seems to me, is the wonder that comes from being new to the world, from the novelty of experience. There's something special about the first time we do or see anything, and obviously children will be much closer to that state. Children's wonder will be less, less mixed by outside associations and emotions. By the way, novelty is very important for happiness. People who do novel things are happier than those who don't. Adult-like wonder, by contrast, is the wonder that comes from experience and understanding. Some things are made more marvelous with knowledge. Some things are made more marvelous with knowledge. At the same time, adults' wonder might be mixed with frustration, ambition, or other complicated emotions. Imagine that a four-year-old child and an adult astrophysicist go out to gaze at a night sky ablaze with stars. The child will feel one kind of wonder. The astrophysicist will feel another kind of wonder. Neither kind of wonder is better or truer or more meaningful, but I imagine some people are more attracted to the idea of childlike wonder others to adult-like wonder. For my part, I must say, I'm attracted to adult-like wonder. I'll leave you with C.S. Lewis's Prince Caspian. The child Lucy 
The child Lucy meets Aslan, the great lion who is the creator and ruler of Narnia. After some time, she tells him, Aslan, you're bigger. And he replies, that is because you're older and explains, every year you grow, you will find me bigger. My grandfather, grandparents' house was a magical place. It was nestled in a peculiar woods in Philadelphia, resembling a secluded house in old stories that one comes across unexpectedly. The house was gray, it was layered with stucco and decorated with red trim, giving it a whimsical quality. As a child, it was easy to imagine its halls were full of secrets magic wardrobes, hidden passageways, and rooms to be discovered full of wondrous things. The third floor, for example, was off limits for reasons that were never explained. We knew a cat prowled in a room on the second floor, but the door was always locked and the cat never seen. On the first floor, there was a stairwell that had been closed off halfway up and sealed. We never knew where it would have gone, what it was hiding. My grandfather, who was an artist, covered the walls of the house with his paintings. Those that didn't fit there lay scattered, leaning on chairs, nestled into corners, along with his myriad of art supplies. Equally ubiquitous, were the remnants of my grandmother's storied lineage, tracing back through the royal families of medieval Europe and extending even to ancient Rome. Family crests hung in the entranceways. A suit of armor stood guarding the coat rack. Gilded aged silver rested on bookshelves and behind cupboards. And yet the place had a ruinous feel. The silver hadn't been polished for decades. The home was dark and poorly lit. The paintings were hanging off kilter and precious objects had clearly been forgotten in dusty corners. It was said that the house itself had been built by a Civil War veteran who had lost his leg in the war. My grandmother said that late at night she could hear him walking through the house, his cane and his peg leg bumping and scratching the wooden floor as she tried to sleep. Now, when I was young, I loved going to my grandparents' house. It was a place where anything was possible, where ancient secrets rested, where anything marvelous and sometimes frightening lay around every corner and behind every door. It felt like going to a place in a fairy tale. And of course, children's literature is full of magical old houses that lead to adventure. I loved those stories as a child and still do, whether they were the old house that led to Narnia in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, or the estate in The Secret Garden, or the ancient house of Dyes Drear. Even adult literature plays with the archetype of a wondrous house, like last year's winner of the Women's Prize for Fiction. 
Piranesi by Susanna Clarke. For children, houses in literature and real life are places of and keys to wonder. Intuitively, children understand that they hold mysteries that cannot be fully understood. Places created by powerful adults, past generations, which over time have taken on a life of their own. Houses spark a curiosity and demand exploration and understanding. While some houses naturally inspire these feelings more than others, the child's desire for mystery and wonder, it's innate. If encouraged, they will find these same feelings at their school, in museums, houses of worship, even in the most humble and plain apartment. As I grew older, I found myself losing these places of magic and wonder. As I grew bigger, my grandparents' house literally grew smaller in comparison. I learned that the third floor was just an attic for more paintings strewn about on the floor. I met the mysterious locked away cat and learned all too quickly that her imprisonment was because she was an immensely disagreeable little creature. And I found that the block stairwell, far from leading to some secret room of magic, was just a poorly done contracting job to add more storage space. The house, once mysterious, began to instead seem neglected, cluttered, and just unsightly. This is not an unusual experience for us adults. So many of us lose access to the wonder and mystery of our childhood worlds. We learn that the magical places of our youth were designed and built and maintained by ordinary people just like us, who made run-of-the-mill decisions about faucets and support beams and drywall. We learn that secret gardens are torn up by groundskeepers, sometimes every season unconcerned for our yearning of timelessness, universality, of what was and should always then be. We fall into a kind of materialism disguised as reason or maturity, that everything is simply what it is and what it appears to be. There becomes no magical houses, just places built of stone, wood, and stucco. No fairy tales hidden behind locked doors, just more of the same on the other side. For those of us who've experienced this loss, you know it can be hard for the soul. Materialism brings a predictable extension of learning more about the world as you get older. It might be predictable. But it takes the world we live in and are forced to live in and makes it dull and boring and mundane. Just like that, nothing is sacred anymore. Nothing is surprising. Nothing is more than what it seems. Materialism dangerously pits maturity against wonder. It destroys our ability to be resilient, to imagine a better future, to believe that our lives can change. To believe there is mystery in the world, 
is to believe that we are not trapped in the present moment. Our current reality, whatever that is, the things that we see and experience, it suggests instead that our narrow sight that we have, our narrow perception of reality, cannot be all that is. It gives us a pathway out of despair when life feels bleak because we learn that our own perception is innately limited and the universe is far beyond anything that we can conceive. It gives us a point of contact with what is sacred beyond us, a feeling of participating in some transcendental reality that we can never understand yet is so clearly all around us. Now, during the pandemic, I felt this loss more acutely. Maybe it was because I felt like I was trapped in my apartment, which, although beautiful in many respects, is not a place that conjures up dreams of secret staircases and hidden corners. Maybe it's because I've watched my son Rowan, one years old, as he marvels about the world, including our apartment. And I'm jealous of his eyes looking up, seeking to understand. I have come to realize that life without wonder and mystery is unsustainable, whether you are an adult or a child. We all need to feel it. Childhood houses and other magical places are vehicles for young people. And as adults, we need to find our own way to do it, our own versions of what those are. We need to find ways to see the world as marvelous, just as we did as children, even though we are forever changed and there is no going back. What has helped me is to think about my grandparents' house and all the other places that I've experienced wonder and mystery and awe, and to recognize that although those are small places that I can easily grasp now with my jaded adult reason, that they all reside still in a world, a universe that is still equally as mysterious as those were to my childhood eyes. If the old house and places of magic and wonder, if they are full of mysteries to a child, the universe that we all live in is equally mysterious to us as adults. Whether we believe in God or not, whether we perceive some transcendental organizing reality of the universe, I know as a human being that we cannot truly conceive of the vastness of time or how unending it is behind us or ahead. We cannot conceive of the unending immensity of this universe and the tininess of our part in it. We can't truly comprehend what consciousness is or how memory shapes our present perceptions or how or why anything exists at all. Science gives us some answers but not all of them. While children have their secret gardens and mysterious homes, we adults are blessed with the universe itself. Instead of a house with endless rooms with secrets beyond our knowledge, we have the world itself, which none of us, no matter how much money we have, no matter how many plane tickets we can book, we will never fully know, 
never visit all those places, never talk to everyone, no amount of travel or reading or study will ever be enough to see all the rooms in this universe. When I feel the acute need for wonder, I try to remember my grandparents' house and the world through Rowan's eyes. And although I don't have the luxury of his wonder or the children's wonder here, I remember too that this world is just like those houses, full of unending mystery, hidden discoveries, waiting to be explored. It offers hope and possibility and joy, beauty that I do not know yet and may never know, but it is still there, and that I do know. May we come to celebrate this gift of unending and unfolding unknowing. May it be so, and amen. Reverend Schuyler, it's so good to get, get to sit down with you once again. Thank you, Amber. It's great to be back. I know I say it every week, um, but, but this week was a really interesting and uh, exciting topic for me, especially as, as the, the DRE. Um, I know, I think I told you when you were talking about the topic with me, uh, I was like, hey, this act of, like, I've got like 10 different ideas coming right now for the time for all ages, because like this, this is a, this is a, an interesting thing to talk about this, this childhood sense of wonder. Um, so thanks for a really interesting message this week. Oh, you're welcome. And uh, yeah, it definitely ties into, you know, it's just, it's just, it's a, a sermon about, about growing up. It's a sermon about childhood. It's just, it's a sermon about how we as adults, uh, you know, don't fall into sort of jadedness and, and materialism. And uh, I think that no matter what our age is, I, I hope that folks find it meaningful um, because they're certainly for me as a person, whether through um, being a minister or not, we all need that, right? And I need that. Um, and I think perhaps being being stuck in my apartment for the last couple of years, far more than I ever was before, I felt really engaged with the physical spaces around me um, as, as spiritual places. And, uh, and whether that was this church building here that, that um, we're in or, um, or our apartment, um, you know, here on the Upper West Side. So I think these spaces really do shape our experience and they, and they serve as a, a touch point, a conduit to, to our, our spiritual lives um, and, and really uh, have a conversation between us and, and whatever transcendental world and reality that we want to engage with. It's definitely, you know, I, I think I talked about it a few weeks back with uh, Reverend Leonisa as well, but, you know, I, I try and take some time on my commute to really appreciate like, hey, look, look, there is the New York City skyline from Hoboken as I come over. I actually took a picture this morning. I will insert the photo here when I'm editing this. Um, and, you know, like to stop and appreciate that beauty and to stop and appreciate like, like how cool is this that I get to commute this way and get to see all these amazing sights that like people travel the world to come and see New York City skyline. And I get to see it just every time I come into work. Um, you know, it's, it's taking those moments. And I, I really appreciate the way that you named being stuck at home as a time to, to have to come to terms with like, okay, I better learn to appreciate this, 
this space that I have because uh, it's it's where I'm currently stuck, <laughs> uh, and can be even more challenging with kids. Um, to <laughs> appreciate the the smallness of a New York apartment space um, with, with the young one. Yeah. And I know that we're more fortunate than others because we have a two bedroom space rather than a studio. And, uh, you know, I, I've lived in st studios and, and had the experience of that and had the experience of many roommates. And uh, I know that I can feel very cluttered, um, particularly if you're stuck together. I think I think for me, there's, you know, there's this tension and balance of of wanting two different things from the spaces I inhabit, uh, both an intimacy of them and then also uh, a, uh, an infinityness um, within them. And I, I think that's both like the interior spaces, but also the exterior environmental spaces where there's something really beautiful, I think, and soul touching about, you know, the little nooks and houses, right? And those the little dormer windows that you can kind of curl up into or, or to feel like they're kind of holding your space. Um, and there's also a beauty to the vistas, right? Um, and the, the broad views and the um, those windows that see out in front of the skyline that uh, some of us have. And we need, I think those, those both touch different parts of our, our spiritual life, right? You know, there's a, there's the need to be held and feel like there's an intimacy to the spaces that we're in, but there's also a need to feel like we have a, a wider view. And I think being in the pandemic and being kind of in our interior spaces, that has been a real lived reality for me in a space that I have, I have been uh, in touch with in my own self, uh, around what I need. Um, and, uh, and I think we, this is really not what Sermon talks about, but I think that there is there's a whole version of sort of physical space spirituality that could be discussed, and I think is far more powerful and impactful than than what is often talked about. You know, I think most spiritualities are based on um, you know relationships or are you know textual uh, storytelling or or public worship, but our our relationship to the physical spaces we're in is really impactful, um, and uh, I think we. The pandemic has been teaching me how that is true for me and i know for many others um and and you know especially for children right who grow up who are small and they're in these spaces that for them are not uh are not spaces that are just made by random people right they're they're magical places they're places that that are in some ways a stand-in for um for timelessness and uh that which is universal and transcendent of them that they can't fully understand. Uh, and so when you're children, you know, you have that is easy to find because there's lots of spaces like that, right? All the spaces you inhabit are kind of these magical spases that are beyond your full understanding. Then uh, the challenge, of course, is when you get older is how to how to maintain those once you kind of realize that those are just people made, right? Um, uh, and you start yearning for that intimacy that you maybe have, that in, you know, that infinity that that the spaces kind of opened up in your mind and dreams. So, uh, so I tried to wrestle with all this stuff. So I, I remember as I moved towards like mainline Protestantism and then towards Unitarian Universalism, I was like, like, well, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm giving up my, my dream of having the, the, the beautiful church. Um, um, because, you know, evangelicalism had the really like multifunctional, like here we're meeting in a gym. Uh, and then I spent some time in the Catholic church and, you know, they love their beautiful churches and, Lutherans love their beautiful churches, and then it was like, okay, well, I'm moving. I'm moving a bit more towards the the generic church space. But I got pretty lucky to end up at, at such a, a beautiful um, space of a church. Like you know, sometimes I've I've been here 
later nights on on weekdays and it'll be dark and i'll just come walk through the space and think of all the like thousands of people that have had experiences here and you know what this space has meant for them and you know there is something beautiful about spaces and i know you i think at least in the the draft that i read you did mention the church as as one of these these beautiful spaces i'm kind of curious what buildings stand out as really special to you in like your memory or in the present Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, yeah, I you know I talk a lot about my grandparents' house, which was a very magical place, and I presume still is. Um, you know, there are homes that I lived in as a child. Although, although I remember mourning that when we moved into the house that I would eventually live in from age eight to up, that it was had been gutted and renovated, and it felt like there weren't really sort of magical spaces in them because. It was all there. I kind of knew what it was. Um, it wasn't anything hidden or secret. And I think I think we as spiritual people need and and just people who yearn for wonder and mystery, right? We need to feel like there's something hidden around us because it makes our world more expansive, right? Um, um, I think I, I really lucked out in the churches that I've served because I, those have all been very magical places. I was I was a religious education director at a church in Chicago that that sanctuary sanctuary had been designed to. Uh, mimic uh, the caves. I think they were Neolithic caves. Maybe I'm getting the time period wrong, uh, where they found those carvings in um, of, uh, of like old cows or bulls or something from really ancient, really ancient times. And they modeled the sanctuary off of that. Uh, and there was fused glass, and it was just—it's a re- really stunning place. The pulpit was a rock, and uh, you'd have—it was on this ground that like squirrels would sometimes burrow up from and run around the sanctuary. It was a wild space, but also beautiful. Um, I did my internship at the first church in Boston where it was designed by Paul Rudolph, who is a a phenomenal brutalist architect. Um, And he fused um, his modernist design with the old ruins of the building that had uh, perished in a fire, but there was still the steeple and the ark. Um, and, And I struggled actually to really like that space initially, but I came to really appreciate it. Uh, and I, I think that there is a real uh, courage and, uh, and experimentation that can come when you use spaces because, because we're not bound by uh, perhaps some of the old, the old ways. And, but we also still have, I think, a real aesthetic, artistic sensibility as a faith tradition, right? That, that we're, not, uh, we're not always going to sacrifice um, uh, sort of functionality for, for, for beauty. Um, and our space, of course, is very different. It's gothic and old, and uh, and I think people do have that sense of hidden spaces here, um, which is special. But you know, I think about like like in universities. I think there's a lot of beautiful old buildings there. The chapel I worked in uh, in college was rumored to have a basement beneath the basement, and there was a and there was some way to get down there that that we could never find, and no one had a key to this one door that apparently would get you there. Um, but people had said that it was possible. Uh, my high school had tunnels that connected the buildings um, that were sort of heavily guarded or locked. Uh, we never really could get down there, but we knew that they were there and we knew that there was some kind of history that was there that we always wanted to. So I think, you know, I think I was, I've been very lucky to be exposed to environments, physical spaces that have that sense of unknown, the unknown. Um, and I think the challenge has been, you know, knowing that like those tunnels are probably just full of old stuff that nobody cares about, right? Like pipes and t- trash really that like, who knows who has thrown down there. Like they're not actually potentially that interesting, but, but to 
keep that sense of wonder and mystery and and desire to explore as adults is i think the part of the key to to what a fulfilling maturity looks like and uh i try to wrestle with that in the sermon right i was gonna say perhaps you know like a century's worth of textbooks uh, hanging out down in the um, you know I, I think about our building and of course our you know super secret second basement here at forth right <laughs> but only it's a it's a secret past only between the directors of religious education like we, only we know about it only we have the key the only key yeah yeah let's start spreading that rumor actually i've thought about giving a sermon of like things people have told me about fourth you uh and like there are all sorts of funny rumors like that um i think maybe we talked about a couple weeks ago that like uh apparently there's some there's some record of some body being buried here um never heard that never knew that but there's some little history of like so-and-so was buried at fourth you i was like huh somewhere there's a body potentially maybe not who knows but maybe in that second basement Okay, but uh, parents uh, in the religious education program do not worry that we're not going to just randomly stumble upon a body. Um, I'd like to put that disclaimer in here that you do not have to worry about your kids randomly stumbling upon a body in our religious education programming. <laughs> but so all jokes aside, I kind of wonder if you have like, so we talk about buildings, but I wonder if there's other things that you'd recommend for ways to try and practice the sense of wonder in your life. You know, I talked about my commute, you talked about these buildings. What are some other ways that we can really cultivate this sense of wonder? I think listening to kids is, is a big one. I do. I definitely think, you know, um, children are an avenue towards easy wonder. And that's not to that's not to diminish children or, or, or falsely nostalgize, right, what childhood is, because childhood can be very, very difficult, right, uh, and very real. Um, uh, obviously, it's real for children, but it's real in any sense, right? Um, um, but I do think children allow us to access that part of ourselves that we forget as adults. Um, you know, that gets kind of beaten out of us. Um, I see that my, with myself and my own my own son, where I see the way that he looks around our apartment, which is not an apartment that inspires that same sense of you know hidden passageways as lovely as that apartment is. Uh, you know, he looks at he looks in the closets and sees tons of stuff that he doesn't know and doesn't understand and wonder what's in right. Uh, and so I. I think exposure. So, so if you're, you know, looking for that, we have a lovely, you know, program that you can teach here at Fourth U that I would encourage folks to, to get involved in, and that's that's one way to have some great conversations with people who, who still, intuitively see the world as bigger than them and, and full of sort of magic and wonder, and, and I think that can help. And as someone who used to teach kids, I experienced that very directly too. Um, you know, I I think that there are. Uh, ways of experiencing holidays that um, and really diving into holiday traditions that help with that too. You know, these are timeless events, right? Uh, whether we are Christian or Jewish or, or Muslim or Buddhist or whatever, there are avenues for experiencing timelessness and, and wonder when, when there are traditions that have been done for centuries. Um, and, uh, and so whether that's Christmas or Easter coming up, Ramadan started this week. We can feel connected to something that is larger than us that we can never fully understand, right? Um, and and allowing ourselves to sink into those sacred times during the year can be very powerful. That's a great example that um, <clears throat> while, while I may be a fight the power in many sense, 
Um, I do also have a soft spot for tradition because I think it's it's great to appreciate what was meaningful to the people who came before us. I think that you're spot on with the holidays. So Skylar, thank you so much for a great message, for a great discussion. It's always a joy to get to sit down together. Thank you. Me too, Ember. Thanks for your good questions. And thanks everybody for watching or listening.